K-A-L-W. Hello? Hello, I'm trying to reach Joe. Yeah, this is him. Joe, this is Andrew. What's happening, hey, man? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. How are you? Welcome out. <laughs> I know, it's like a kind of craziness right now. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I was going home to uh, insanity. Hey, hold on. Andrew, i got to set down the phone for a second. got to grab something. Okay. Hey there, Uncuffed listeners. In case you don't recognize my voice yet, this is Joe Kirk, one of the founding members of Uncuffed at Solano State Prison. I know we usually bring you stories produced on the inside, but unfortunately, the COVID lockdown has made that impossible so far. But some good news. What you just heard is true. Oh, so true. After serving five years, I'm out of prison. California is releasing thousands of people early to try to make more space inside due to COVID, and I was one of the lucky ones. A few weeks after my release into transitional housing, I reconnected with Andrew Stelzer, one of the uncuffed editors at KALW, to tell the story of what the last few months have been like for me. It's been rough. I've been to three different prisons, I caught the coronavirus. It's been a wild ride, man. We couldn't meet in person, so Andrew called over Skype and I recorded my end of the conversation on a smartphone. Sorry for the subpar audio quality, we're doing the best we can. Sorry, I had to turn on the thing. Uh, it says it can get up to like eight gigs of at a time, so oh, yeah. it shouldn't be a big deal. Yeah. So I think I probably last saw you either the very end of 2019 or early 2020. You were still yeah. in Solano, so uh, that's what the last time we saw each other. And so then what, what happened after then? I think you got transferred out before COVID was on the scene. I got transferred out before COVID. Uh, the yard was just too much to handle. There's a lot of, uh, I guess that you can say in the general population yards in California, there's a lot of racial politics where they uh, segregate everybody. And it just being because I was the race of white, I fell into the category of white. But what that does is it brings forth kind of a, a white supremacist thing on the yards, which is not good. And uh, even though I didn't have those beliefs, all the other gang members on the yard were basically, you don't have a choice since you're here, you're one of us, you know, type thing. And I just really wasn't trying to do it. I was just trying to do the podcast and uh, go back to the dorm at the end of the day and mind my business. And uh, I ended up going to my clinician and uh, saying that uh, you need to ask security just to get me out of this yard. I can't deal with politics anymore. So they got me on in like three days and uh, got me on an emergency transfer down to uh, CRC. I didn't even get on a bus. They put me in a little van and actually drove me down there. And what's CRC? Uh, CRC is California Rehabilitation Center in Norco, California, which is in uh, Riverside County. And that's where you were as news started being broadcast about COVID. What were your thoughts? What were you hearing? And what was sort of the reaction at that facility? Well, the first thing was all the inmates started watching the TV every day more and more, you know, even ones that didn't because they were interested in this virus that was breaking out. And then uh, everybody started to get real paranoid. Guys started to wear masks, but then at first the officers were telling them to take it off because they couldn't identify them. But then it turned to uh, real quick. I mean, real, real quick. It turned into, if you don't have a mask on, you could lose time. 
And then I was in an 80 man dorm where we're, you know, two feet apart from each other. And one guy gets sick, everybody gets sick. And uh, in the bathroom, they were doing things like giving us just a bar of soap and no paper towels to wash our hands. I started looking out my window. I was five stories up on a yard and uh, they were building bunks outside all these bunks. And then uh, the plumbers were turning on the water in the gym. What they were doing is they were preparing and getting ready for like massive people being sick. Everybody was getting scared. 30 seconds. You want to call me back? Sure. All right. Uh, okay. I'll do that right now. Hello? Andrew? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm sitting in the dorm and everybody just starts coughing at night. And uh, the really weird thing about that is that uh, when they're quarantining dorms and shutting people off from everything else, the inmates, you know, they're scared of the coronavirus, but also there's this whole like, you know, don't tell the staff, don't tell the staff you're sick because they don't want to get quarantined. Because the fear is if one guy gets sick and they lock you in here, we're all going to get sick, you know? And I even started to feel sick. I started to, uh, you know, that uh, tingly feeling you get in the back of your nose when you, uh, you're getting a cold. I started to get that feeling, but it started to travel down my lungs. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. But really, like, my symptoms got no worse than that. I got a little achy. That was it. Around when was this? What month? Oh, man. Let's see. I'm really bad with dates. I'm saying uh, March. Okay. During the first few weeks of the outbreak. Yeah, the first few weeks. All of a sudden, they come in. They come in one day and say, attention to the dorm. They said, everybody doesn't have a choice. You're getting shipped out of the prison. Only people that are staying are people that are critical workers, which are like people that take care of the maintenance stuff of the, of the facility. They said, everybody's going to Old Corcoran. And that was their original plan. Corcoran Prison is this massive prison in the valley up north of Fresno. Everybody's freaking out. And they started taking guys and uh, pulling buses up onto the yard throwing their property in a box without even inventorying it and putting a name on it and shipping them out or whatever. They didn't test anybody, nothing, you know, uh, they, it was just see you later and guys were sick. So what, how are you feeling and what are you thinking at this time? I mean, you've, you know, you've been in prison for several years where you've seen a lot of stuff go down. Yeah. Is this unique? Is this different? What, what, what are your thoughts and your feelings as, as this sort of chaos is ensuing? Well, I, I kept thinking this is something out of a movie, you know? And then uh, like the whole like virus threat, it's gotta be like, it's, I don't know, it's something you see on like a, a Brad Pitt movie, you know? I'm just hoping the whole time that uh, nobody would start rioting. Because the tension was so, you know, if a guy was sick, people were getting mad at him. And uh, people were saying crazy things that you shouldn't say in prison. Like, I'm getting out of here. I'm escaping. They were just spouting off in the mouth. And uh, I was scared. I mean, like, uh, there's this virus. And, you know, they say on the news it can potentially kill you. Where did you end up and what was that like? Uh, I ended up going to uh, California Men's Colony. I didn't end up at Corcoran. I actually was glad that I ended up at uh, CMC because it's in San Luis Obispo, which was like in the summertime, it's like 75 degrees, you know? And at this point, you said you had had some symptoms. Had you tested positive for COVID? I didn't, uh, they didn't test me until they got me to CMC. And then when they did, they threw me in an isolation cell. Nothing to look at, no books, no nothing. And all I would do is get my uh, two meals a day. Well, you know, you get your lunch with your breakfast. And uh, I was in there for two weeks with nothing to do. It was the most boring time I ever had in my life. 
So then when you got out of isolation, did you get tested again? Uh, no, I got thrown straight onto the yard. And what was that like, especially in terms of masks, hygiene, PPE, health and safety? So when I first got out the yard, they, they gave me a mask when I left the cell. And they told me at all times when I'm outside of my cell, I have to have the mask on. Uh, you can't go anywhere without it. You, uh, and it has to be over your nose too. If you pull it down over your nose, you get a write-up. It was a non-designated yard, so no politics. And uh, it was single cell. And uh, so it was really cool being in a single cell because I didn't have to worry about a cellmate keeping me up all night. And uh, I stayed in my cell a lot and I played a whole lot of guitar just because I didn't want to get sick. And when did word start to get around that the governor of the state might be letting people out to avoid overcrowding? They put out a... uh, a list. It said you, if nonviolent, but you couldn't be a uh, 290, which is a sex offender. You couldn't have viol- any violence whatsoever. It, there were certain stipulations. I can't remember them all. And I fit the criteria to go home. And uh, my counselor let me know that, uh, you know, you're getting released. My out date was August 25th, and I got released on July 24th. So about a, I got out about a month early. So what was the release process like? Five days before you go home, they call you to a tent that they have in the facility. And uh, in the tent is a nurse in a hazmat suit that uh, does the COVID test for you. Determining whether or not you uh, test positive or not, they release you into the public. I didn't have anywhere to go. I was a transient when I came to, I'm not from California, you know, so being a transient, they had to find a place for me to stay. And uh, they told me at first that, uh, you know, that we can't find a bed for you, but we're working on it. And then uh, maybe a week before I went home, they surprised me and told me that I was going to a uh, stop program here in Stockton. What a stop program is, though, is a uh, it's transitional housing. It's like halfway house type stuff. You work on going to AA meetings, uh, sobriety, parenting classes. There's some domestic violence stuff if you need it. But mostly they focus on recovery here. It's really nice. Uh, there's a workout area, there's a garden, trees with flowers on them, bushes, rose bushes. The only downside is, is that uh, it's a little strict, so you kind of feel like getting out of prison and going into just a really nice, fancy hotel prison. So, on the one hand, this is a moment, uh, the moment of your release, I'm sure you've been waiting for and, and maybe even dreaming about for several years, freedom, but... It also comes at this really strange time where people on the outside can't interact with each other, whole industries are shut down, jobs are scarce. So what what is it like being so quote-unquote free in this world that right now has a lot of restrictions we've never had before? I feel like a paranoid man because I remember when uh, uh, the guy picked me up in the morning I got out, he asked if I wanted to stop at the gas station. It was a really long ride. Drove me up the I-5, up the Central Valley. And I went to the gas station and everybody was masked up. And uh, I was afraid to touch anything because I didn't have any hand sanitizer on me. And I was walking around the store looking at everybody. I'm just like, wow, this is really weird. And uh, the cashier was really like standoffish. Like uh, she asked me to put my card down on the counter. And then, then after it was down on the counter, she picked it up. It was really strange. I was like, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. And you're only about three weeks in of your three months that you have at this transitional housing. So I don't know if you're 
sort of living in the moment right now, what are your plans and, and what are your options? Uh, right now, I'm just uh, trying to work on uh, sobriety. It's kind of a thing for me. Before prison, I was a, you know, a train traveling uh, alcoholic and uh, I don't want to go back to that. I know if I don't get uh, that right, you know, and start going to meetings and things like that, uh, I can head back down that path real quick and I don't want that. So it's kind of a, the slogan for, you know, when you're in recovery is uh, one day at a time, you know, but it's actually really scary because one of the things is, is being from Chicago, I, I don't have an, a California ID. I've never had one. And there's a huge process I have to go through to get one birth certificate, all that and everything else and all a social security card and all those places are closed down. And then I need an ID to get a job or a social security card too. And so if I don't have an ID or a social security card, how can I get a job or be a taxpayer? And then there, there's no jobs. And I know I just, you know, I know I just got out of prison, so I'm going to have to work a, a, you know, a low end job, which, you know, like there are none, you know, like, I mean, there is a little hope. I've heard Amazon's hiring everybody right now, but, uh, my only option is right now is to maybe hopefully, uh, I just found out the other day you can collect unemployment if you haven't had a job because of coronavirus, but I don't know. I'm kind of up in the air about that. And, uh, the relief from the government, you know, but that's only $1,200. That's only going to go so far. So I'm really concerned about housing and all that. And, you know, it's just really, it's intense, you know, and, uh, stressful. And so I'm kind of stuck in this little weird, uh, you know, zone where uh, eventually my funding for this program is going to run out and they're going to boot me out and I won't have the credentials or anything to survive. This does seem kind of crazy though, but uh, my counselor uh, here raised uh, a point where uh, because I'm nonviolent because of COVID, I signed paperwork the other day saying I can get off of parole in six months if I don't have a violation. My counselor said, are you crazy? I know it sounds crazy to uh, want to stay on parole, but if you stay on parole, you can still get funding, you know? But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it seems like a insanity to be like, yeah, I want to stay on parole, you know? <laughs> I had a single room for the longest time when I first got here, but I got doubled up because they're going to dump a bunch of people out of prison. And so there's going to be a lot of guys in the same shoes. What do you think people should know about what's going on both inside the prisons right now and about the thousands of people being released and what we as a society, people listening to this, might be able to do to make things somewhat better. Yeah, I, you know, they need to have better re-entry programs where if things like this happen, you can still get everything that you need, uh, ID, a job, resources, uh, maybe, you know, actually it would be a thing is for the future in case anything like this ever happens again is to train more people to work online. Like I thought it was a shame that they don't have the internet in prison when the whole world works off the internet now. So you get all these guys that uh, don't know how to use the internet. They get out of prison and the world is, you know, it's crazy. You know, I, I got out and there was technologies. I'm a, even a millennial and I got out five years later and there's these technologies I've never seen. And I couldn't imagine, like, we have one guy here that uh, did 20 years. Can you imagine doing 20 years, no internet, and you go out into a world that's only online right now, you know? I do know one thing, though, is that uh, there's a lot of guys getting released, but there's a lot of guys that fall under, like, special circumstances, and uh, they're not getting released, or there's, like, lifers and things like that. 
And uh, there's guys that have been in there for 20, 30 years that they're, you know, the most docile programming people doing groups every day, AA, you know, and uh, they just don't get the chance because they have certain special circumstances or something. But uh, it shouldn't be just like the low-end drug dealers that get let out of prison. It should be some other people that get a chance too. And uh, I was worried about a few friends that I met in there that weren't going to get the chance to get released early and get stuck in there with COVID. Joe Kirk, it is so good to hear your voice and hear your voice from the outside. And I know our uncuffed listeners and everybody in KLW will be very happy to hear you back on the air as part of Uncuffed. Thanks a lot, Andrew. That interview was recorded on August 9th, 2020. This episode was produced by Joe Kirk, Eli Wirtschafter, James Rollins, and me, Andrew Stelzer. Our theme music is by David Jossi. And that was Joe Kirk himself on the guitar. If this is your first time listening to Uncuffed, please go back and check out the other episodes made by the teams inside San Quentin and Solano State Prisons. Our training program is supported by the California Arts Council and the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation.